Hey guys, it's Jack here. And it's me, David. <laughs> and welcome Sorry. back to part two of our uh, review on The Lighthouse, a fantastic film by director Eggers. Once again, I've forgotten his first name because we're definitely Robert. not recording this straight after the intro to our first episode. <laughs> and it is starring Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. Um, we really hope you enjoy the first half of our review. David, will they enjoy the second half? Yes, no, maybe? Oh, let's let's hope hope so, man. Because oh, this is it's a rough one. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you guys will enjoy. Yeah, we, we, enjoy, we, we, guys. We, 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 guys, guys. We, we, we need, need this, guys. Those, um, we need this, we really guys. need please. those downloads right please. now. Just please, just please, don't listen please to it three times. Please, we really need these please downloads just right now. Validate just validate and just give us good reviews, guys. Please. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hope you guys enjoy it. Um, yeah. See you next week. Peace. Peace. Straight after this is the second dinner scene. And apparently this is where we find out it's been two weeks, like already. Like this feels like the second Mm. day and it's apparently been, or third day or something like that. It's the first two weeks. And then Tom's first monologue starts, which he's talking about the Chicopee, which was a ship that he sailed in um, uh, on 1864. And there was a mutiny on the ship. And he said, the terrible part of the sailor's life is boredom, basically, and that the only medicine is drink. Um, of course, this is after he's he's saying his toast again. Um, and he says, keeps the sailors happy, keeps them agreeable, keeps them calm, keeps them... And then Howard interrupts and says, stupid. And for, there's a moment, just a very brief moment of bonding as you think that like Tom's going to sort of snap, but he starts laughing and he says like, oh, maybe there's a like a fight in you yet or something like that. Um, and it's just really interesting because there's this moment of sort of the tension just slips away and they both sort of chuckle. Um, And then it's instantly followed by the tension returning because Howard asked what happened to Tom, uh, Tom second before he came along. And then Tom says, died, went mad. He did raving about sirens, merfolk, bad omens and the like. In the end, weren't no more sense left in him than on a hen's tooth. He believed there was some enchantment in the light. He mentioned that St. Elmo had cast his very fire into it. Salvation, said he. Um, so this is interesting because at this point we already know that Tom uh, that Howard has seen a mermaid. So this is it's it's not like he put this idea in his head. He's already seen them, and we know that probably the the thing that put the idea in his head is the little um, the little carving of the mermaid that he has. But it's just interesting that he's sort of already like hallucinating about mermaid a mermaid, and this is before he finds out that the last guy apparently went mad talking about merfolk. Um, this is the first kind of concrete scene where we get an idea. Maybe there is some kind of supernatural element to this film. Um, and it's mm-hmm. kind of sim- funny cause we were talking about spot eternal sunshine and spotless mind not that long ago. And in that film, it sort of hints at, is there something supernatural going on here as well? But it never sort of confirms it just sort of touches at it. And I think this, this one definitely handles it a, a bit more heavy handedly, but, um, yeah, in this point, it sort of introduces the idea that maybe there is something more, some kind of supernatural element to what is happening on this rock. Any takes from that? No? Okay. There you are. There you are. <laughs> um, so he uh, then, um, Howard responds by saying, tall tales. Um, and then 
it's really interesting on Defoe's face. He sort of looks like upset that he hasn't believed him, which is not the f- not the only time in this film that we see that genuine sadness in um, in Tom's face that Howard doesn't have faith in him um, or doesn't respect something that he does. And it's that is a really interesting dynamic between the two of them. There is a sensitive side to him. Um, but then he continues and he says, I've seen you sparring with a gull, which is obviously referring to him throwing the rock at him when he was blocking the door. Best leave him be, bad luck to kill a seabird. And then um, Howard responds with more tall tales. And then Tom slaps yeah. him. And <laughs> it's it's really interesting because after he slaps him, um, it, it almost seems like, because obviously Howard jumps up and he's like shocked and he's like angry, but he doesn't really know what to do. And he's just sort of staring at him. And it's really interesting. Like Tom reacts by being like, oh, don't mind me. Um, been a long day is all like we need some, like I can't remember. What, yeah, we need some coffee or something like that. And- Mm-mm. He almost looks like ashamed or like he's let in on something that he didn't want to let in on. And this is when I was watching back with the knowledge of the um, relation to ancient Egypt, sorry, ancient Greek mythology is um, this idea of Prometheus and Proteus. And maybe um, Luke, because you also picked up on this. Do you want to sort of explain that? Um, because I think this scene sort of shows Tom as the Proteus figure, someone who is sort of guarding knowledge. And in this scene, it's almost like he lets in on some knowledge and he's trying to like cover it up because he's just like, I've said too much almost. That's the way that I yeah. read it the second time watching. And yeah, um, also throughout the film as well, um, when the first character talks about, tells um, Rob Paz's character to like not spill, to don't spill your beans, which is which yeah. means that don't like, don't share your past experience or don't share um, things you've done in the past. I interpreted that scene as Willem Dafoe being ashamed of himself that he has said too much because um, about his past because he's actually killed his... He, he was the one that killed his second mate. Um, or, yeah, it, we can interpret it like Pro- Proteus and Prometheus, right? Because um, the story, some people interpret it like... Um, because yeah, it harkens back to Greek mythology, right? Where um, Rob Paz's character is Prometheus, a, a titan who attempts to steal the fire from the gods, right? Um, and then is punished by it, is punished for it. Whereas Proteus is a person that is someone who guards guards knowledge, right? And I um, right away we just see this power dynamic, right? Where I remember when I remember in the cinema when he hit. Rob Patterson's character, uh, everyone in the cinema just kind of gasped. Like, it was so unexpected. Ooh. Like, like, wait, 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 what happened? Wait, wait, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, all of a sudden, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> and he does repeat the line after he slaps him. He says, um, bad luck to kill a seabird, except he, like, yells yeah. it at him. Um, so, after this, we see Howard's first masturbation scene, which is not often that you get to say first masturbation scene because there is more than one. Um, but there, that is definitely the, the case in this movie. Um, it doesn't last very long and it doesn't have much context to it. It's just sort of showing a bit of um, the sexual tension and the sexual imagery aspect of this film. As you said, uh, Luke, there there is... There is a bit of phallic imagery in this um, in this film, Definitely. and it absolutely is intentional. And there's a quote that I plan to end the the episode on, which I think does touch on, if you pardon the pun, um, does touch <laughs> on the phallic imagery. Um, <laughs> so, Tom's second monologue 
um, is when, yeah, sort of you're referring to it before, David, is about how Howard's not working hard enough. And you can see Tom getting increasingly pissed off at this stage. And I think, as I said, the score does a really good job of enhancing the tension between the two of them. And what's interesting is after this long monologue of telling him that, yeah, he, if he asked him to take apart every single like brick and nail of the place and and like clean it until it was sparkles like a sperm whales tinkle or something like that. <laughs> it's just something yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, after all of that, like you instantly change to a scene where Howard is now doing the painting on the side of the, the lighthouse. And um, there's like a, once again, this is what I said about it, like changing tone. It, it changes from this really tense, like anger tone to all of a sudden quite a lighthearted, like, frustrated scene for Howard but he's it's still lighthearted like they're kind of messing around and um yeah obviously Howard falls at the end of this the thing that he's on to paint snaps because Tom's messing with him and he keeps dropping him suddenly and it's just like what what I'm not doing anything but it's obviously very intentional um and then it knocks him out and then he wakes up and the seagull is like sort of tearing at his pant um, in which case he, he, he like he tries to which point he tries to sort of swat it and it doesn't go away until he actually does connect and sort of give it a bit of a slap and it flies away. Um, once again, the seagull really getting under his skin. Um, any takes on this? Because I'm a little confused by like the unnecessary antagonization that the seagull is doing or whether there is another take on this that the seagull is trying to do something else. I don't know. Mm. If it if it plays with this like if it, if we go with the story of like um the second second mate was like convinced that the light holds power and knowledge, then maybe even in the form of a seagull, like he doesn't want um Howard's character to get close to the source. Mm. So there is just this um hate that just kinda stays with the person or the soul of the person but it, it that doesn't, remains even in the bird the bird doesn't antagonize uh, tom though mm, but then again is, is tom true. real we'll get to that um <laughs> yeah <laughs> so then we have the third dinner scene um and this is when howard tells tom um that his name is Ephraim winslow because and, and at this point we have no reason not to believe him um he hasn't shown us that he's untrustworthy or anything up until this point the only thing that we've seen that would suggest that things aren't as they seem is that hallucination he has of Ephraim winslow in the water but at this point we don't know who that is so we just sort of we, we trust him at this point i think um he appears as a fairly likable character howard at first um and but, but it's interesting because Tom seems to distrust him when he says this and he keeps referring to him, interestingly, as his full name, um, as if to sort of mock him. He keeps saying his full name, like not, he doesn't call him Winslow. He doesn't call him Ephraim Winslow. He'll say something and then he'll go Ephraim Winslow. Yeah, like that. Like he's like mocking him as if he knows it's not true. But I, I don't think he does know it's not true. I think he's just still finding a way to... Um, sort of talk down to him because at this point the reason why um howard asked him to to call him a name is because he's been calling him lad the whole time which is another way of sort of um tom exerting his power upon howard um we mm. find out a little bit about howard's past um that he worked in timber in canada 
Um, and then Tom says that he that uh, people work too hard up in Canada and that he wouldn't want to work there, which is interesting because Howe has literally been working himself to the bone. And this guy's just like, nah, people work too hard up in Canada. It's easy work down here. And like Howard's probably just sitting there just like, what the hell? You just sleep all day. Um and then um, Tom inquires why Howard would become a wiki, um, which I can't remember. It's an abbreviation of um, something. Lighthouse keep. Yeah, but but it's it's light. a mm. it's something else. I can't remember, but it doesn't matter. Um, and one of the questions he asked is he asked him all these questions why he left, and one of them was Foreman found you too high tempered for carrying an axe, which is quite interesting given the way that um, the axe comes into. The picture later on, once again, foreshadowing. It's just, there's so much foreshadowing in this film. Um, and Howard claims that the only reason why he's there is because the pay is good. And he wants to build a house and settle down. And he says, sometime I'll raise my own roof somewhere up country with no one to tell me what for. And that's all. And yeah, this is once again tying into that that theme of power and hierarchy. He just wants to have his own place where no one can tell him what to do. He's the boss and and that's all. But Tom clearly doesn't buy it um, and he even accuses him of running and sort of Howard just kind of brushes that off. Um, Howard then asks right at the end of the scene, why is it bad luck to kill a seagull? And Tom replies that Mm. they are the souls of dead sailors. And he then asks whether Howard is a praying man and Howard says, not as often as I might. I'm I'm God-fearing if that's what you're asking. And that's the end of the scene. And I just thought it was a really interesting way to finish finish the scene and after the second time watching it i do think that maybe the god thing is referring to something else because despite the fact that they appear to be referring to the christian god throughout this film whenever they talk about god mm-hmm. um within the monologue of the monologues or i don't mon- monologue i i don't know <laughs> of um of of tom he consistently is referring to a different type of god the god of the seas um, Poseidon, we are led to think, um, or perhaps Zeus or something like that. But he, he's referring to gods mm. that are Greek in nature, not the Christian god. But it, it's just interesting that he asks, um, he asks him, "Are you, are you a praying man?" And he says, "I'm God fearing." If that's what you are, if that's what you're asking, I don't know. Any any additional take on that? No, I think I think yeah. I, I also thought it was a Christian god at first until later it, it mentions more about the Greek gods, and yeah. I, I thought okay, he's talking definitely about God fearing as well. Is interesting because that can mean not just a single god, singular god, right? It can just mean multiple. Yeah, yeah that's true. The god, like God as a being in general, like as beings in general, right? Yeah. So I think that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well. Um, and he's, like straight after that, we see Howard staring up at the light um, from outside and his desire for it is absolutely building. And you can see that he's beginning to really want to get into that tower. Um, and soon after we see Howard climb the stairs um, during the night, because he's climbed the stairs and he's looking up and we're, we're led to believe that Tom is up there masturbating again. Um, and then he seems to transform into some kind of tentacled monster. Um, Mm. and the question Mm. again is, was this a dream once more? Because straight after that scene, we see Howard walk downstairs and he's going to get some water as if nothing has really happened. And so the question is, what is real in this film? And did this actually happen? Um, I think we, uh, due to a scene later on, we're led to believe that this didn't happen, that there is no tentacle, tentacle monster, but, um, it would appear that from the description of, in his third monologue, 
that this is the god of the seas. Um, Neptune, right? Neptune. 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 Is it I not? Think. Is it not Poseidon? Poseidon. Uh, Poseidon. But he does say Neptune, Neptune strike ye down. But is maybe Neptune is god of the skies? I might have that wrong. Let me look it up. Neptune, god. No, Neptune would be sea as well. I think. I think the god of mix the god of. Yes, is, yeah. Okay, so Sorry, so, so like he's like. Originally, the god of fresh water. By three nine nine BCE, he was identified with the Greek Poseidon and thus became the deity of the sea. So it looks like they're the same person. He was identi- mm. identified with the Greek Poseidon. Mm. Um, so it, it would... Okay, so Neptune is actually a Roman god. It's the Roman god mm. for the seas, but it's actually this the Greek god Poseidon. So they're the same mm. god, technically. Mm. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're on the right track. Um, Neptune, Poseidon, doesn't really matter. He is the god of the seas. Um, so, yeah, that, I just found that a very interesting scene. And we're once again led in, down this path of something which I will comment. And this may be a little bit harsh, but it is a little bit of a trope within films, especially indie films, this idea of, oh, what's real? And then they never really answer it. And it's just like, mm. I'll just leave it up to your interpretation. <laughs> and there is mm. part of me that says that's lazy writing. Like by just leaving it open constantly and saying, we won't tell you, it's almost like, well, I don't have to write the end of the film. And it's interesting because when um, when both Patterson and Defoe are staring into the light, which obviously Patterson doesn't until right at the end, but in the script, both actors are told how they should be feeling, but they're not told what they're looking at. And I just think there's part of me that says it's lazy writing for there not to actually be something that is in the light and it's just like well it's up to your imagination like because then it just makes the ending infinitely possible um and Mm. my yeah my main criticism of this film is just that that it's too open-ended in a way like there there aren't any genuine answers and i do like the idea of um the audience's interpretation but i think that possibly in this film it's it's too much relying on the audience to interpret their own meaning of the film. And there's not enough substance in terms of the actual plot itself. Um, mm. But mm. yeah, I, I don't know if you guys want to talk about that now or just continue. Well, I think it's a very, like a very reasonable, yeah. Mm. Criticism. Okay. So this, as, <laughs> as I said, sorry, I'm just, this is going to take forever. Um, Howard finds the bloodied water coming out of the tap after he comes downstairs and he goes to check the water hole because he mm-hmm. hears a seagull and he finds that there's a dead seagull in the hole, which you were referring to this before, David. Um, the one-eyed seagull yeah. suddenly appears and flies at Howard, who begins to brutally murder the seagull in a scene <laughs> so violent yeah. that Eggers well, actually felt the need to clarify that no seagulls were hurt during the making of this film. It looks so real. Yeah, like, it you, is absolutely brutal. And the blood is like splattering everywhere. Um, and I believe, I might have this wrong, but I think that there isn't any music during this scene. I, I might have that wrong. But mm-hmm. I, yeah, music. I think it was silent. Yeah, yeah. And you're just hearing the slapping of this limp bird against the rock. Um, and it's it's pretty horrifying. Um, but just after that, the music does become incredibly menacing. And as I said, that's when the camera follows up um, up the lighthouse and you see the wind become... It changes direction and it becomes increasingly calm. Um, any comments on this particular scene? David, I know you had a really interesting take on 
the the bird that was dead within the hole because I didn't really pay as much attention to that as I think I might have done. I don't really know why there is a... Well, it's not dead, but it's like squirming. It's like partially dead. Mm. Um, I didn't really pay much attention to why that bird was there in the first place. Mm. Oh, I did say it earlier. I thought it was just um, foreshadowing what was to happen. Like, I think it made more... Like, you guys gave insight of the... Like, the more of the Greek mythology side like of you know um you were mentioning before how um howard's character is meant to be pro protheus prometheus prometheus, yeah. prometheus, prometheus the one who's yeah. trying to share knowledge and um I, I read a little bit while you guys are talking as well but like how that he was punished for stealing yeah. the fire from the gods and he's immortal so he's always in this cycle of like being half dead or like in in pain yeah and it looks like the seagull is meant to like for me it looked like the seagull that was in the water represents yeah um, yeah because it's not quite dead yeah yeah that's interesting mm-hmm. because yeah the, the yeah. story is that um basically every morning or night an eagle would come along and it would pick out and it would actually tear into prometheus's body and take its liver take his liver um but he because he was healing because he was immortal by the end of that 24-hour period he just finished healing from that and his liver had grown back the eagle would arrive and do exactly the same thing and given what we see Mm. in this film at the end about the relationship between um the birds and and um the seagulls and howard himself that's quite an interesting reference. Um, mm. So Mm-mm. we find out that this is the last day of their four-week spell now. And so we have the fourth dinner scene um, and Howard finally has a drink. And when I say a drink, I mean a drink. <laughs> we, we see, <laughs> like me when I drink. <laughs> <laughs> we see the two of them bonding and laughing and getting on well for once. Um, but the tension returns a bit because they're, they're, at this point they're really drunk. They're just downing... Um, cup after cup of whatever this uh, liquor is and the Mm. tension returns um, as yeah Tom uh, sorry Howard once again asks Tom why can't he see the light and this is when we find out just after this they have a little bit of a tussle and then it just the tension disappears again as they start laughing Um, and this is when we find out that Tom's name is actually Tom Thomas Wake is his name and we see Howard like really surprised that this guy's name is Tom. And we don't know why, because obviously at this point, we still think his name is Ephraim Winslow. We don't know that his name is actually Tom, Tom Howard. Um, yeah. And he, he's just like, Tom, that's your name, Tom. And he's just like, yeah, you can call me Tom. And this is really interesting. I don't know if you, if you guys have heard about this, but this film is actually partially based on this really tragic tale where two guys named Thomas um, got stranded on an island for who were working as wikis and they hated each other and one of the Toms actually dies and because the other Tom was so scared that he would be accused of murder because everyone knew how much they hated each other he built him like a casket and he put him in the casket and he basically kept this body rotting away in the house with him to say like I didn't kill him um, and Eventually, the guy was rescued off the island, but apparently he was just never the same. It was just tormented him for the rest of his days. Um, so well, I did not know that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the fact that, that they're both called Tom is not a coincidence. This is based like that. That's a and this one I'm talking about. Like the level of research that goes into this, it's just <laughs> absolutely insane. Um, so yeah, that's that's another little 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 piece. Um, so. <laughs> 
The next morning, they wake up absolutely trashed and Howard goes to go to the bathroom and he finds that the two toilet bowls are completely full up, disgustingly. He goes to throw them off the cliff and in the wind, (laughs) it flies straight back into his face. Um, This is actually a reference (laughs) to the Big Lebowski, funnily enough. Um, That's actually been confirmed. That is a reference to the Big Lebowski. Um, And his yell... His scream when it happens. It's just the most like painful scream and we can all just identify because you see him throw it, it goes out and then it just goes straight back on his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, so bad. Um, I was just like, why did he Why did he think that would be a good idea? Well, like, he could have just like flipped it over it's kinda, or It's kind of like when you go to wash a spoon in the sink and you pour the water and then it hits yeah, yeah, the spoon yeah, yeah, and it just goes yeah, yeah. Psh, sprays <laughs> it everywhere. It's just like, yeah. you just, as soon as it happens, you're like, why did I do that? Um, yeah. But anyway, then Howard is walking back and he's continuing to sort of do his morning duties. Um, and then he finds the siren. He finds the body of the siren washed up on the, on the shore. And he goes over. And as I said, this is played by Valeria Caraman. And, um, he sort of pulls away the seaweed and um, sees that she's incredibly beautiful and she's topless, obviously, because she's a mermaid. And so he's moving down and he's like sort of marveling at the body because he obviously hasn't seen a woman for quite some time. And there's a lot of sort of, as I said, sexual tension built up. And then it just, you mm. just see below the <laughs> waist of this woman. Yeah. And you see some massive um genitalia on this on this siren now you don't really get a good glimpse of it but you just see the top and you see it switches back to howard as he sort of pulls away in like shock and then um oh i remember just seeing the scales on the side yeah. or like the, the i didn't notice the it the gills? first time because um, it does sort of focus on the li- uh, on the scales but you do see the top of it and after you see that later on in the film you're kind of expecting to see it mm, the second time yeah. through um and then she opens her eyes and she's smiling at him and she she sits up she's smiling like as i said very beautiful just like the the tales of the siren is supposed to be and then she screams and um he she's like laughing screaming and howard just gets freaked out and sort of runs away and then he runs straight to the hut right or to the house and this is really interesting because before this every single time we see one of these hallucinations in quotations um it completely cuts scene and so you don't know whether it was real or not but after this howard runs straight into the house and um tom says something like what are you doing yelling for like why are you yelling and as we as we see yeah. him running away howard running away from the siren he is yelling and so this would suggest that this did actually happen or at least howard's part did happen but whether he was really seeing a siren or not that's the part that is left up to debate and once again we never really get a confirmation of this whether this is just imagery that's related to the story and is there to provide depth to the story and to the character or whether this is some kind of supernatural element within the film what do you guys think of this scene it's hard to say man i'm interested to hear um luke's interpretation but yeah Go ahead, go ahead, Luke. <laughs> uh, I actually don't have much to comment about it. I just thought that it, it's kind of one of the first times in the film that I think um, sort of weaves in. Because before, it's actually kind of like um, straightforward in the fact that the audience kind of knows, oh, this is a hallucination, this is reality. But yeah. I think this is the first time where it blends. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's when when we kind of get the sense that he's losing it, right? He's yeah. losing touch of reality. 
Um, Absolutely, yeah. And I agree. And David, I guess to answer your question earlier on, I definitely think that this is one of the first times where we we begin to question his sanity. What is interesting is he doesn't Mm. tell Tom what he's seen. And I've just, I'm presuming that the reason why he doesn't tell Tom is because he knows what happened to Tom's second in command is that he apparently went crazy and started seeing mer people. And so Mm -hmm. um, Mm. it's almost like him saying, if I tell him, he'll think I'm crazy. Um, whether yep. he thinks at this point that he is crazy or not, we don't really know. Um, we just know that he's freaked out, but he doesn't say anything. Um, so the next day, or sorry, this same day when they're supposed to be getting picked up, the boat doesn't come. And we're led to believe that it's the storm that's keeping the boat away. And that because of the conditions, the boat just can't come close enough to the, to the shore. Um, as, uh, to- as Howard is going about his duties... Um, he's beginning to like, there's a, a bottle of the, the alcohol next to him and he very nearly takes a swig and then he puts the lid back on, um, which was interesting. He's like sort of tempted to sort of ease his sanity by drinking, but he doesn't, um, especially given what we see in a few scenes time. But then we find out that the provincials have rotted away and basically Tom says that they have to ration from now on. And Howard says it's only been one day and Tom says it's been weeks and that every day he's been telling him and every day Howard says, um, oh, like, why do we need a ration? It's only been one day. And he says he'll take the dory out to try and find the the food or something like that. And so Tom tells him that he's been saying this every day for weeks. And so this is the point where it's, it's indisputable that either he's crazy or Tom is messing with him. This is the first yeah. time where it's just like, no, that there's, this, there's something going on here. Um, what did you guys think? Did you guys think that Tom is messing with him at this point? Or did you think that he is actually starting to lose it? I thought he was losing it until near closer to the um, end of the film yeah. where like you get the sense that this guy, like the... The ending kind of just set for me that um, maybe Tom was just trying to get him insane from the start. Mm. And that, that was his goal from the beginning because he doesn't want him to leave at all. And he's trapping him by manipulating him. Um, yeah. And like the drinking, him drinking that night is the turning point where he like loses touch with reality yep. and time and everything. Because mm. when you see... Howard at the start of the film, he has good like self control because he wanted that fresh start. He's actually trying to be really good yeah, worker, yeah. stay on duty, stay on task, um, do everything he's told because he just wants to make money yeah. and settle down. And I thought he was like a genuinely like I don't want I want to get rid of like get away from my past yeah, yeah, as yeah, for far sure. as possible. He does and come then, across as very genuine, then, whereas like Tom never comes across as genuine even at the start. You you still think that yeah. there's there's stuff there. And so I think that we are more inclined yeah. to trust Tom than to trust, sorry, to trust Howard than to trust mm. Tom. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I think I probably did go the same direction as you, assume that he was crazy until we saw more later on. What about you, Luke? How do you sort of interpret this? So when I first saw it or when after when like you first knowing saw what it. happens later? When I first saw it, I thought that, I thought that Howard was crazy. Yes. Yeah, right. So how Howard was starting to lose it. Cause, and I think like Defoe's delivery of his lines are so good that you just, you kind of believe him because his delivery is so good to say, you've been saying this for weeks and stuff like that. Um, if you watch it again, you kind of, 
you kind of see that he is sort of coming up with his plan as he goes along or that's that's the way his line delivery seems like he's he becomes more confident in this idea that he's been saying it to him every day as he goes yeah. along um, which I thought was interesting. Um, Tom actually says that in 1875, which would have been like 15 years before this, a wiki was actually stuck there for seven months. Um, and yeah. this puts the idea into Howard's head that, oh, like we could actually genuinely be stranded here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. As as he's speaking, Howard takes a knife um, and hides the knife it's just like a butter knife which is quite funny um but tom claims while he's taking this knife that he's recounting a story and he claims that scurvy ruined his leg and earlier on we heard tom say that um he broke his leg and that some Mm. like catholic nuns Mm -hmm. were looking after him and so howard challenges him and said that he broke it earlier and tom just says you must have misheard me um and at this point i think even like even yeah, just yeah. a few seconds after that previous scene, we instantly doubt Tom's authenticity. And so mm. we say, well, how long has it been then? And so it enters the stage of, yeah, who, what's real, what's truth? And yeah, it's really interesting. Um, they continue to get pissed drunk, as we see <laughs> repeatedly in the second half of the film. And Howard actually drunkenly, and I didn't pick this up the first time, because at the first time you don't know yet that he's not actually Winslow. But the second time watching it through, he drunkenly refers to Foreman Winslow. And he says he always used to like be so tough on me, just like you to Tom. And I thought that he was just referring to, like his because he said he was living with his dad. And I thought maybe he's referring to his dad or something like that. But... When you watch it again, you realize that he is referring to Ephraim Winslow. Um, and Tom does pick up on this. He's just like, Winslow? Winslow? And he like questions him about it, but it doesn't really lead anywhere. So Tom is like withered enough to pick up that something weird has happened there. Um, but he doesn't really figure it out because we see genuine surprise from him later on when he finds out that um, Tom Howard is actually not Ephraim Winslow. Um, this is followed by the what scene, which you referred to, David, which is yeah, so yeah. good. So, does, does one of you want to talk yeah. about that? David, go ahead. Oh, no, you go. <laughs> so, you're, you're our guest. So, basically, like, these two uh, are pissed drunk, are sitting there, and then all of a sudden, one of the characters says, what? And then the other says, what? And then what? they constantly go at it, just saying, what, 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 until... <laughs> Until they start screaming at each other and like looking like being literally so close to each other that like the nose are touching and yeah, then yeah. and then Robert Pattinson says that's your problem something like something that like he's lo- like something about like how he's just losing it and he just wants to get out and he wants a steak like if he has if he mm-hmm. if he had a steak he would fuck it <laughs> he would have <laughs> sex with it right and then yeah. and then William the first character is like you don't like me cooking and then. <laughs> And then they just yeah, yeah, have yeah, a whole yeah, yeah. argument about how like so I, I've yeah no, I've the got funny it. part the funny part just before that is when he when he says that line of he he will like f a steak like Tom's character <laughs> just, like, just looks so like oh my gosh <laughs> this guy's gone yeah, way yeah, too yeah, far yeah. like <laughs> um so Tom Tom is like this is the part that I was talking about where Tom is genuinely upset that he doesn't like his cooking and he's yeah. like pleading with him and he's like you're fond of me lobster say it <laughs> and he's yeah and then, yeah say it um. And then, like, he, uh, Howard says, you don't need it. Like, I don't have to say anything. And then this leads into his third and I think his best monologue. And I've, I'm going to read out the whole monologue because it is really important. And maybe we'll reference the bits that really jump out as super important. It's, it's all important, but there's certain bits that I think would be good to, um, to touch on. So, 
damn ye, let it, let Neptune strike ye down, Winslow. Hark. And then he screams hark and the thunder strikes. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. would, that sort of suggests for the first time, like, he has some kind of supernatural ability and he's somehow, like, in control of the weather or something like that. And then he says, hark, trident, hark. Um, Bellow bid our father, the sea king, rise from the depths, full foul in his fury. Black waves teeming with salt firm to smother this young mouth with pungent slime, to choke ye, engorging your organs till ye turn blue and bloated with bilge and brine and can scream no more. Only when he crowned in cockle shells with slithering tentacle tail and steaming beard take up his fell befined arm, his coral tine trident screeches banshee-like in the tempest and plunges it into your gullet, bursting. And I'll just stop there. Funny, that description sounds awfully familiar to something we see in this film, doesn't it? Tentacle, mm-hmm. barnacled, with shells yeah. all over him. That's exactly what we see him, um, Tom look like later on when he sort of um, embodies that image of the god, the god of the seas. Um, and so, I don't know whether that idea was put in his head um, or whether this is, once again, part of the supernatural aspect. We don't really know. Um, Bursting ye, a bulging bladder no more, but a blasted bloody film now, and nothing for the harpies and the souls of dead sailors to peck at and claw and feed upon until only to be lapped up and swallowed by the infinite waters of the dread emperor himself. So this is once again referring to that myth of Prometheus being like pecked at by the birds, and we see that obviously happen at the end. So this is in a way he's being cursed by this monologue because so mm-hmm. much of this happens and becomes true. Forgotten to any man, to any mm-hmm. time, forgotten to any god or devil, forgotten even to the sea, for any stuff or part of Winslow, even any scanting of your soul is Winslow no more, but is now itself the sea. And then, mm. and then, and then um, Howard responds, both. all right, have it your way. I like your cooking. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I watching it again this time, cause I knew that was coming. And like, I was worried the second time when I knew it was coming, that it would sort of take away from the drama and the sort of ferocity of the monologue. But actually Patterson leaves just the right amount of time afterwards where they're both just panting and staring at each other before he says it. <laughs> so it doesn't really diminish the ferocity of the monologue. It just sort yeah. of, adds this really well-timed comedic twist at the end. Um, mm. But yeah, so what a scene. And the lighting in the scene and his eyes, Willem Dafoe's performance in this is just, it's beyond good. It's its so brilliant. And he's like, as we said, that as, as I just said, like that monologue is so long, but you're just so drawn into it and you're just like captured by mm. his face and the fury and the rage within him. And... There is something supernatural about this film. There surely is because what he says does come true. Um, Whether it is him himself, as we'll see later on, there are things to suggest that perhaps Tom isn't even real or perhaps Tom is a a version of Howard himself or whatever. Like, Like the fact that they're both called Tom might be referencing that or like as well as the fact that it's referencing that story. But there is so much here. Um, we just really don't have enough time to go through all of it. But wow, what a performance from yeah. Willem Dafoe. Yeah. It's crazy how he can memorize all those lines. Yeah. Like how much he had to re- like rehearse it or like if it's just kind of because of him being a vet in the industry, he 
kind of just kind of comes. Well, he, through, he's done. He's done so, like theater like, and stuff, just like Robert Patterson. Mm. So they're used to having to perform these these lines. Um, that's so so crazy yeah, though. yeah. Um, so after this, Howard tries to break into the lighthouse light room. He can't. He's got the knife. He tries to twist it, and the knife snaps. Um, so he breaks into the cabinet instead for the logbook. He does get in, but it's not in there. Um, so he goes to steal it while Tom sleeps, but he hesitates as he sees the keys. So he's reaching for. Um, the book, which is on Tom's chest, he hesitates because he sees the keys and decides to go for them instead. But then he hesitates again, and this time he reaches for his knife and he clearly intends to kill Tom. Um, at this point, we can see that Howard is properly losing it. Like, he's fully losing his mind. He's about to kill a man in cold blood. Um, and he basically, Tom Tom wakes up um, and he it's a very kind of funny scene because there's like this weird it's a mixture of tension and also um howard who's probably still drinking because he's kind of like blubbering his excuses and it's just like he, he says because he's got his shoes around his neck so he doesn't make noise and um and tom's just like strange way to wear your shoes and he's just like i didn't want to wake you long days and all <laughs> and, and it's <laughs> and no he says like long days and all and such <laughs> and it's just like this really weird like tense scene but twist once again twisting humor into it um mm. and then after this we see tom doing his work again uh, howard doing his work again but this time yeah he is properly he's lost it he's talking to himself he's babbling he's like his tongue is like flickering in and out of his mouth he's working erratically and constantly drinking like as i said this sort of references back to that scene before where he doesn't grab his his drink he's in the same workroom in the engine room but this time he is he's swigging while he's working um and then this is where the second masturbation scene happens um so this was actually the first scene that they filmed um in the whole film which i thought was very interesting oh what, really yeah yeah okay. one of the most tense scenes in the whole film and this was the first one that they filmed um fun fact it's also the third film in which patterson has a masturbation scene um <laughs> while um while we're speaking about the erotic imagery as well um according to eggers he in his original script um he included a very juvenile shot of the lighthouse moving like an erect penis and a short match and this is a direct quote by the way and a short match cut to an actual erect penis um, mm. End of quote. So A24 and New Regency only agreed to Eggers shooting on 35mm black and white negative if he agreed to remove all the scenes of full frontal male, male nudity, which happens to include scenes mm. of erections. Um, so, yeah, it, it's interesting. I just thought that he was forced to remove that, yet we see what we do of the siren. Um, perhaps a little bit of double standards there. Well, not perhaps, absolutely some double standards there within the, the film industry that we literally see a full female genitalia plus breasts, yet we can't see a penis. Like, Yeah, it's uh, a bit... Yeah, it's a bit strange. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, Why can't we see penis? Just gi give David his penis. Give the man his <laughs> penis, you know? <laughs> and it's a film about, you know, male masculinity as well. So exactly, like, well, well, exactly. Need to, like, you know. to show off some dick, you know? Um, yeah, show some dick, man. <laughs> um, so, it, while we're still on genitalia, um, the siren's genitalia is actually um, the... It's based on the genitalia of a shark. That's that's kind of what it looks oh, like Oh, yeah, no, one oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we see... That's what shark yeah. genitalia looks like? Yep, apparently wow. so. Um, so, we see... <laughs> 
We see Howard um, trying to focus on the siren while he's masturbating and he's holding the wooden siren carving, um, but his mind keeps flashing elsewhere. And we kind of see a bit of a montage here as it flashes all between different things. Um, But he, it flashes to Ephraim Winslow. Um, It also uh, flashes to a swinging cunt hook, which he references before when he's drunk about just give me the hook, but he doesn't. Um, it It switches to him pulling up the lobster basket um, and eventually he just screams when he keeps seeing Winslow and he can't continue and he just falls to his knees and he just begins to weep. Um, oh, wait, wasn't... I, I, I interpreted that scene as him reaching, like, an orgasm. Oh, really? He just, I, yeah. thought, I thought it was that he, he, like, he couldn't continue. He was trying to focus on the fantasy, but the his, his fantasy kept moving towards his past and that he couldn't finish. Mm. I don't know, but maybe he did. Maybe he's crying because of the shame of it. Because they do kind of reference that the, sh- the shame of um, like sexuality is referenced in the movie as well um, yeah. during a conversation that Howard and and um, and what's his name? What's his name? Tom. I having Tom. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, we after after Ooh, his his weeping finishes, um, we see basically that what we're watching in the montage is. Um, is Howard pulling up the, the lobster basket and we see that in the lobster basket is a head which is missing an eye. And so this is the, the point where we find out that Tom's second in command was missing an eye. And that's where you, if yeah. you are smart enough watching it the first time, you could make the connection between the seagull and the head. I didn't make it the first time. I only made it the mm. second time because at this point, the seagull's already dead and we don't see it again. And so like you'd have to be quite... I think quite sharp to be able to pick it up. I don't know whether either of you guys figured it out the first time. Yeah, I did because right after, cool, well, like you. soon, yeah, <laughs> soon after, um, keep up, Jack. <laughs> Robert Patterson says <laughs> when Robert, Robert Patterson um, will like confront, um, yeah, he does. the first character about it. Yeah, and then he mentions that the he killed your second, the one eye junior man. And yeah. that's when I was like, oh, the one eye seagull. Yeah, yeah right. That's, that's okay. So maybe I'm just slow then. Um, <laughs> the, <no>. fo- <laughs> the following scene is Tom and Howard dancing together like maniacs. Um, first, first it's uh, like a, a, yeah, crazy dance. And then they go into a slow dance and Defoe's actually yeah. singing to, to Patterson. Then they almost kiss. Um, <laughs> once they realize that they're about to kiss, they start fighting and Defoe actually punches <laughs> Howard in the stomach and they're rolling all over the ground fighting. And then suddenly it switches and they're on the ground cuddling. Um, and then this is when Howard tells Tom that his real name is Tommy, Tom Howard. And Tom asks Howard, who is Winslow? And Tom, um, he says he's no one. And then Howard, so, sorry, Howard says he's no one. And Tom kind of calls him out on it. Um, and Howard asks if, if you can trust Tom and Tom tells him, tells Howard, don't go spilling your beans, which obviously is a line that comes back mm-hmm. later on in the film. Um, and then the scene sort of shifts up and it's one of these beautiful transitions as it goes through the floorboards. And obviously time has passed as well, because now, now um, Howard is sitting on his bed and he's presumably talking to Tom and he's telling him the story. Um, and he tells basically the fact that, um, he saw Winslow, basically, he realized that Winslow was about to die. He didn't kill him, and he makes that very clear. He said, I didn't kill him, but he didn't save him. Um, he, he kind of watched him die, mm-hmm. and the 
assumption is that he could have he could have saved Winslow, but he 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 was pissed off with Winslow because he was always on his back, and so he basically just watched him die. And he says, at the end, all I could think of when he was gone was I could use a smoke, um, which is interesting because every time something bad happens in this film, it seems that like Howard pulls out a smoke, and that happens later on as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he's done, it the, the camera goes to where Tom is presumably sitting, and he's not there. And then all of a sudden, all the, the foley, all the sound design stops and the silence. And then the camera is just like moving really hauntingly through the corridor. Does not look like an old school shot at all. This looks very modern day. Um, yeah. And we hear Tom's voice saying, why do you have to spill your beans, Tommy? Um, and then there's this really trippy scene as we're, we're suddenly up at the lighthouse. Um, Howard is up there and he sees this body on the floor and he goes to turn over the body and the body is Howard. Um, and then mm. another hand grabs his shoulder. Howard turns around and we see Tom standing there naked. And he literally in this scene, he looks like a Greek God. Like he, mm-hmm. he yeah. like, and this is before we switch to that. There's the following scene, obviously, which, but, but even before that, he looks like a God. But then we see this amazing shot of Tom standing like he's in the in the position of a Greek sculpture, one of those old school Greek sculptures, and he's staring into Howard's eyes. And from Tom's gaze is light. And this is like, mm. is Tom the lighthouse? Like, what's going mm. on here? Um, but he's just staring right into Howard's face. And it's this beautiful shot. And yeah, as I said, like the position that it's very intentional, the position that Defoe is standing in, it looks mm. just like one of those statues or sculptures of... Um, of a Greek god which was built like in back in ancient Greece. Um, yeah. There's a lot there, guys. Do you have any thoughts on that or maybe something that I missed out um, explaining it? No, you did. Like, that's exactly what I thought as well. I just thought this was an amazing, beautiful shot. Like, if I saw it in a museum, I'd be like, that's... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's that good. David, anything? Yeah. I think I think it's based off a... Of- painting because um while while we were talking about it and i was looking at the prometheus and proteus thing um can't see the artist's name here but um let me flip this they based it off this painting yep oh i see it yeah yeah. oh yeah yeah wow that's absolutely based off that so who's in that who's in that painting i think it's meant to be prometheus and proteus wow um it's by What's it called? That's definitely it. I mean, it, yeah. the imagery is right there. Yeah, it's exactly the same. The, the light's shining out of the yeah, eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's out of his whole face in that one? Oh, of rhyme of the rhyme of the ancient marina Mariner. by Gustave. Rhyme Dory, of the ancient mariner, eighteen seventy-seven. Yeah, that's a that's a very famous book, yeah. Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Um, mm. Well, okay, cool. Very cool. Yeah, I know yeah. that was one of the books that he read for his research. That's awesome. What an amazing reference. Um, so, any ideas why Howard is finding himself? Because I, I, why I, Howard I, is finding? Yeah, or like Howard he turns flips himself. over the body and it's him. I, I did. I couldn't really understand that. What that was pointing at. Luke, I, do you have something? I know this yeah. film explores identity, but. Um, I mean, the I only see, thing I can think yeah. of is he's seeing Ephraim Winslow, but it's him this time. But I don't think that fits because before this, we've seen Ephraim Winslow as Ephraim mm. Winslow. 
I think it, it kind of adds on to the part where like um, he's talking to himself and like the like it adds it just pl- like thickens the plot of even a bit more like first you're thinking is like is there a supernatural thing going on what's reality um and you have all this and then you add another thing where it's like um is there even is like are one of the characters even fake like is tom really there kind of thing yeah and like because they end up becoming so similar uh, and there's so many overlaps but other than that i can't think of why mm. that that was yeah shown it's strange that way. strange um i i the way i interpreted it was just that like um he's a product of his own demise and um and then the greek god like essentially like it kind of with this light sort of shining out from his eyes going into um rod Patterson's eyes i think is is a imagery of like him being judged yeah that's, that I, yeah. I, yeah that's what i thought about that bit i just didn't yeah. really get the bit before but um where he's seeing his own body yeah, yeah i think yeah. In, in film when when you see your own body i think it's a it's an i like the symbolism behind that is that like yeah you do like your actions essentially like yeah um contribute to your demise yeah okay all right mm. so how would then it flicks and how it's trying to run to the dory to the little boat um and then tom appears with an axe and destroys oh, the boat wow. so he what can't an amazing leave. scene wow. yeah, yeah yeah when that scene like when the scene opens i was like oh no no yeah. get away get away <laughs> like but i mean he's yeah. he saved his life because if he went out in that boat he would have died like yeah, the, yeah. as the, the ways would have taken him but yes um it's pretty crazy. And then Tom says something about like, you can't leave me or something like Don't that. Don't leave me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then mm. Howard literally runs away and Tom chases him into the house with the axe. Oh, um, man, which that scene is... It, I, I sort of got um, the Shining vibes from, uh, yeah, from that. Yeah. Um, and Howard accuses Tom of killing his second and he says that the mermaid carving was a charm that Tom made, but he destroyed it and that he says, he's I'm free of your designs. Um, and... Yeah. This is at the point where we're like, okay, Tom. So, okay, Howard, like we, we agree that Tom isn't a good guy, but that he's created a charm and he's like trying and we're like, okay, you've properly lost it at this point. At the same time, mm. Tom is still messing with him um, and and Tom takes like the sympathetic approach and is like, um, you've lost it. And he, he, and he tells Howard that Howard smashed up the lifeboat and Howard chased mm. him with an axe. And then Tom goes on to say this whole thing, this like, this whole scene, everything, the rock, the lighthouse, him, they're all figments of his imagination. Um, and he's just pushing him further and further into insanity. And mm. before this part, you could say that perhaps Tom was just manipulating him. But at this point, I think I, it was one of you who said it before, that it mm. is Tom's agenda to push Howard into insan- insanity, mm. which up until this yeah. point, you can't really make a strong case for that. But with this scene, I think you absolutely can say that there's clear intentions from Tom to push Howard into insanity. And it absolutely appears to be working. Mm. Mm. And we also, we also question also Tom standing in the scene as well, because he asks um, Howard, how long have you been on this rock? Like two yeah, weeks, yeah. Like t- two days, like three weeks. Help me to recollect. Even he, we, the audience starts to distrust what uh, um, Tom yeah. is saying. I didn't interpret it that way, to be honest. I interpreted it as he was he was still messing with him. But maybe yeah, maybe you are right. I, I thought I thought he was, it was like a rhetorical question. Um, but um, yeah. Anyway, uh, 
Howard, after all this, responds with, I could use a smoke, which is exactly what he said after the last terrible thing that happened to him. Um, and we see this again. He doesn't say it next time, but he does it again um, within a few scenes. They then make um, more drink out of turpentine and honey. And <laughs> after Willem Dafoe drinks from this thing, he yells and he screams, Monkey pump! <laughs> Wait, what does he say? Monkey, Monkey pump. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, I don't know. Um, I, I thought know, it was yeah. so funny too when you said yeah and then it's it, like a monkey shot like it's going it, up like, above them and you, being you see them well, like yeah. sitting on the ground yeah. just like yeah yeah monkey <laughs> pump um, so there it then changes the, the scene flicks to this beautiful scene of them sitting under this tiny little table and they're drinking this like deadly <laughs> alcohol um, and then all of a sudden the sea bursts through the window above them and they f- f- basically the the scene cuts out and um, the house is completely trashed. When they wake up, they're in like a foot of water. Um, and yeah, uh, Howard goes and basically urinates and he throws up and then he finds the logbook, which he's been trying to get into the whole time. And you see this fury appearing on his face. And yeah, when I first saw the scene, I... I sort of interpreted it as maybe he's finding out what's in the light. And I thought we're finally going to get an answer to this, but unfortunately we don't. Um, What we find out later is that actually he just is reading that Tom has been ripping into Howard at every single opportunity and has even asked for Howard to be doctor's pay. Like he's just been completely unnecessarily cruel to to Howard and Howard is furious because the only reason why he came to the island was for the pay. And that's the one thing that um, it looks like Howard was trying to, uh, Tom was trying to get him to lose. Um, he then leans up and he punches the clock, um, which for me is like the end of this theme about time because now time is no longer relevant. The only thing, because time was only relevant in terms of how long he was going to be on the island. And now he doesn't seem to care about getting off the island anymore. The only things that mattered to him is getting revenge on Tom and claiming the the light inside the tower. And so time is now it doesn't really matter how long things are going for or how long they've been there anymore. Um, yeah. That, that, so once he explains this all to Tom and f- finds out that he's, he's worked out exactly what, what Tom's been doing. He basically calls Tom out on all his BS and he, he basically, he, he's, he seems more sane because he believes in himself now and he, he's stopped doubting his own reality because he now thinks that every single thing that Tom has said is not true. And so because of that, it mm. seems like he's more sane, but actually he's just as off the plot as he ever was. <laughs> um, and yeah, he, he then begs, basically, he begs Tom to let him into the lighthouse. He's, he gets down on his <laughs> knees and he begs him. And then um, Tom, <laughs> Tom then goes on about how he said or what you're gonna kill me like you killed that gull um and they he admits that basically he knows that that howard killed the gull and he blames him for everything that's happened because he killed the seagull and then he says winslow was right you're a dog a filthy dog and at this point um howard just loses it they fight um howard sees tom first once they end up on the ground howard suddenly sees tom as winslow and at, when he sees Thomas Winslow, he becomes even more enraged. He jumps on him and he starts punching him. But then 
he sees Winslow like these hands come up and um, suddenly he sees him as the the mermaid and he leans down to kiss her and then all of a sudden we hear this awful laughing this ah, maniacal laughter and um this is the first time that we see fully Defoe's character in the sea god form. And he's got all the barnacles and shells on him. He's got the tentacles, which are flying up in the air. One's round the neck of Howard. And Howard is just punching him and punching him. And then we hear Tom's voice say, you're going to kill me. And he stops. Um, what a crazy scene. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I, I had such an like amazing. I was just, I had a huge smile on my face watching this scene. It was just like everything <laughs> whoa, I love. Whoa. No, it was just like yeah. it was everything. Well, if we if we rewind a little bit to like, um, sort of uh, Howard kind of getting angry at Tom for like lying about everything. He his his language about how he describes him like you smell like jism, you smell like piss, you, sm- you smell like yeah. hot onions, fuck the far- like farm like farmhouse or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And then yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's such a contrast to like how like Tom kind of rails um how like Howard back in like in the monologues back then. Like he uses like eloquent language from mm, Greek mm. mythology, whereas like, you know, how is this like, fuck you, sort of like, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sort of like. And then he even, he even mocks him like, oh, yeah, you have, yeah, you yeah, you yeah. have yeah. a way with words. Yeah, you have a way with words. Like right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then this is a scene where like all three of like um, you know, Howard's hallucinations become like realized, right? The dead body mm. of his former worker, the mermaid. And yeah. Um, King Neptune materialized into one like like one reality just it, it was just so well done because uh, like, then there's a scene where when they're fighting um, Tom is kind of like pushed out of the frame and then you see how his reaction as he's like stumbling back and he re- he sees something and that's when we see the, the, yeah. his dead worker and then he tackles him and then the worker goes out of frame and then we see um, you know, like his female's hands come up his face, start stroking him, putting him, putting her fingers in his mouth, and he leans over to mm. kiss her. And mm. in the next scene, she's disappeared, and it's just King Neptune, and it's just yeah. I mean, to me, so that's, that's well. very clear imagery that it's saying like the same thing that he desires is the same thing that's killing him, um, yeah. and or it is going to kill him basically. And yeah, wow, what a what a visceral way of showing that with just some amazing imagery, um, yeah. Wow. Um, so once he's almost killed Tom, he stands up and he he tell, he forces Tom to bark like a dog because he's been yeah. called a dog the whole time. He's sick of being called a dog. It's the same thing that Winslow called him. And so he's basically forcing um, Tom to, to bark. And credit to Defoe's performance here, his bark is very good. He's a very good dog bark. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it was very good. Um, yeah. And... He's just lying there curled up in a ball and then we switch scene and Howard has put a leash around Tom's neck and he is leading him into his own grave, um, which he has dug for him. And this is this is where we see uh, Howard go on, sorry, Tom go on his final monologue um, and he's once again referring to, I, I haven't written this one down, he's once again referring to the ancient Greek mythology and putting a final sort of curse upon Howard. Um, and he, this is when he does refer to Prometheus and to, uh, what's his name? Prote- uh, what's the other god's name? Uh, Proteus, Proteus, yeah. Um, yeah. 
and he ref- actually <laughs> refers to him in this talk and he says like you've gone crazy just like my my ex like my um second partner um uh, and yeah it's it's a very like the the axing chops in the scene as well like dirt is going into defoe's mouth while he's saying this because he's being buried alive mm, mm. and you can see like the real discomfort on his face from the scene happening but at the same time still acting and just wow like oh my gosh it's just a a brilliant brilliant display of acting from willem defoe mm. um so interestingly this this scene was shot on the second day of recording as well so two of the most dramatic scenes of the whole film were <laughs> shot right at the fir- at, at the start um this scene being the wow. one where where um tom was buried um and so after this we see uh howard realize last minute that he needs to get the keys so he jumps in he uncovers um howard so tom it's so confusing when they're both called tom and he he gets the keys and then he he runs back to to um to the house and before he goes up to the the uh before he goes up to to see the actual light, um, Tom comes up behind him with the axe and he smashes it into to Howard's shoulder. And Howard strangely barely reacts, um, even though it's such a visceral sound and visual. And actually, there's a there's a shot later on where you can see him um, see the blood just oozing out of his shoulder, and it's it's disgusting. Um, and <laughs> Yeah, then mm. he basically hits him over the head with a teapot, grabs the axe and smashes it into Tom's head and Tom is now dead. Bye-bye, Tom. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> this, is a, this is what a, what a like, great scene. You think he's dead because then you, you see him being buried alive and then somehow all of a sudden there's a jump scare where he just pops out, slams him with the axe and then... You think, oh, maybe it might be the end for um for Howard, but then Howard just like turns it back on him and then just slams yeah. the axe into his head. Like Yeah, and, and once you again see it off screen, but yeah. Sorry, yeah. Once again, um we see like the the very thing that we presume saved Tom is still Howard's desire because he jumps in to get the keys and by doing so he removes the dirt from from um, Tom's face and presumably stops him from suffocating and so he is able to revive himself and come back and so the very thing that stopped him from achieving his his plan was his desire for this light Mm -hmm. for this power Um, so then after this we finally see uh, Howard progressing the stairs. At this point, he's been bleeding a lot. There's blood all over his face. His face is completely covered with blood. And um, he finally gets to the roof. He climbs in um, to the to the light and he opens the door. Actually, no, I think the door swings open by itself. Um, another mm-hmm. sign of supernatural behavior there. And we don't, we don't see what he sees. All we see is he begins to scream slowly and then it gets more and more... Um, violent screaming Stored until eventually yeah. he slips on the ladder and he rolls all the way down the stairs all the way to the bottom from the top to the bottom um, and then we don't see anything until the final scene where we see him lying out on the rocks he's obviously crawled outside and um, we see the birds picking at his intestines his liver presumably as a final reference to Prometheus and um 
He's still awake. He's still alive. And there are birds around him picking at him. I think he's missing an eye, which is curious. Um, might suggest that this is some kind of cycle. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, that's that's the final scene of the movie. Very joyous ending to the film. He finally made it. <laughs> Man, this, this final scene. Oh, my goodness. Like this, this film overall has impacted me so much to the point where one of my music videos is in black and white, and a lot of the and I just this film is something that it's like on the same level of parasite to the point where I'm like I want to make something as amazing as this later in my life, but I don't know if I can do it. And this scene is essentially just yeah, it's it's so amazing when he climbs up to when he climbs up there and you see his reaction to what he sees, like. The scenes, so it's a one take, right? Where he's just sort of, he, he, he sees his reaction and then his reaction slowly changes to one of like admiration to terror to pain and then just utter just like chaos, right? Yeah. He just starts screaming um, mm. uncontrollably. And like as the scene progresses, the blood in his face, which is black because of the sign filter, kind of slowly turns white. I forgot how they did that, but I think it's um, they up the exposure of the of, of yeah. the light, or I think they did something with the filter to change it, like to slowly take it off. I forgot where it was, but it was an amazing effect where you see the the black stain on his face just turn blindingly white. Right. I just thought it was the exposure, just for the because yeah, yeah. everything, all the darks became lighter and lighter, and so I, I thought they just upped the exposure of the scene. Or I think they may have just like like selected that color and then changed it like to a negative or something. It's, it's honestly mind boggling how they did it. And the sound design, like you hear this distorted, Distorted like bit crusher, (laughs) bit crusher sound. And then his, his voice is just, I've never heard anything like that before. The effect they used on it. It's like, so I'm pretty sure what they did do is they just reduced the bit rate to barely anything. So it was either no sound or complete distortion. And then they just upped the the volume of the distortion itself as it, as it went. Um, And so, yeah, it was very, very clever, very, very cool work and innovative and very different from what we see in most film. So Yeah, wow. What a film. Um, this, As I said, there's so much to talk about and there's probably so many other theories that we've barely even touched on, like the fact that um, Tom is possibly the same person as Howard, but we don't have enough time mm. to go into that. Um, yeah. That this is uh, one, <laughs> one, I think you mentioned, David, that this is some kind of limbo state that they're in, in purgatory, that he is, or maybe that was you, Luke, sorry. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That basically once he's killed Ephraim Winslow, this is his purgatory for that initial mm. murder and that he's just going through this process of of reliving that, um, which would mm. which would match up with the idea of the cyclical nature of him being strapped to a rock and the liver being eaten, all those ideas. There are so many different ways you can interpret this. And my yeah, yeah. my one criticism of this film, which I already sort of said before, is that it is just a bit too open-ended for me. I would have liked... Mm at least some hints of the the artist's intention because I do, I'm a strong proponent of um, audience perspective, but I like the artist to at least have an intention in his work. And if he does, he hasn't told us what it is in this film. And to me, it's hard not to see that as a bit lazy, creating mm, all this okay. amazing, mm. like complex buildup. I mean, anyone can create amazing yeah. complex buildup if there is no res- resolution. The hard part is mm. tying it all together. And because I don't feel like he did a comprehensive job of tying it all together, like all the dots, like he, he tied a lot of them, 
but the final idea of what is the lighthouse, um, it to me, I would have liked it if he gave even a hint of what his own opinion of it was. But instead, mm, it's just okay. a little bit too open-ended for like you decide. And I like that I idea, but at the same time, it doesn't leave me fully satisfied. Mm. What do you What do you think, David? I think, I think I like the idea of open-endedness. I think the film overall is just uh, like a smoothie of insanity, <laughs> like supernatural themes and just chaos and like a lot of cringy moments all just kind of yeah. blended together with like beautiful cine- cinematography. But I think, so I, I lean towards more of like we're able to see these scenes and like we jump from um, Howard's perspective to um, it, to even um, just like um, our, our perspective of just seeing how they're like progressing along. And it makes me just think that they've both just gone insane. Like the conclusion that I draw from is they've both gone insane and because there's no um, point of reference for them to like progress in any way because they're stuck on the rock they end up worshipping the lighthouse and they end up fighting for for it Mm. and that's how i just interpreted the movie but yeah yeah Um, i I, david i think good good movie i I really like i really (laughs) like that interpretation i do i really like the idea that they're worshipping something that isn't even real like it's just it's just Mm. like the replacement for god on this like terrible place that there are but the only thing that i struggle with that is it doesn't make sense the scenes where they're staring at the light and they're obviously receiving some kind of i don't know there's something they're getting yeah. from it pleasure or pain. Or like um and um, that doesn't that pain. doesn't add up with the fact that it, they're worshiping something that isn't real because there, there clearly is some kind of mystical aspect and so like in a way, I wish that you, that your theory there. I wish that was the theory because I think that would have that would have created such an amazing like blend of, um, I don't know, like being it being anticlimactic but not in a bad way. It almost being like this is what happens, like you know, like uh, almost a cautionary tale. But I don't really know what the film yeah. is saying in this, and so. Luke, maybe you have some ideas and you can sort of explain what your interpretation is, but um, uh, we'll sort of wrap it up with you and then I want to leave you with the final explanation that I found from the director himself of what this film is about. So you you finish up and then (laughs) we can wrap up the podcast with this final little quote that I found. I honestly think so. One one of the questions I wanted to ask you guys was um, what do you think he saw it like when you were finally reached the light, right? What do you think he saw? I've got no idea. That's the thing. I personally like to think that he saw nothing. So, and that's yeah. what made him go insane. Maybe. I personally like to think that. But but um, that doesn't, what, what about the light effect? What about the, like the glowing and his face getting brighter and brighter? Getting brighter? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I See, once again, like I, I would want to agree with you on that, but there's too many yeah, things yeah. that are pointing away from it. Because that's what I thought as well when David was saying that there's actually nothing up there. That's what I was yeah. thinking is that like the reason why um, Defoe gets his peace is because he's looking into just light, just plain old light. And the reason mm. why, um, why Patterson gets his like enraged, like, just why he basically explodes is because mm. 
he's so frustrated that there is nothing there and that everything he's done is for nothing. But there's too mm. many supernatural elements for me to just write it off as that. And yep, there's like, yeah. Yeah. Right. Like the sound and like the light, yep. like going brighter. Essentially, it's, it's essentially alluding to the fact that he he's witnessing something so transcendent, something so incomprehensible that he is losing it right he's actually yeah. it's almost like his body's his mind's being split from his body right and it like, wouldn't make sense why defoe gets mm. naked when he goes up there because this yeah. there's, um, he bathes yeah. in it and the, the, that's more than just light that's more than just peaceful i i, I don't know yeah there's something yeah. about it but yeah i i uh, but then that, then again the the choice of using that sound and and that visual effect can also just like represent um what um, how it is feeling as a character like he's yeah. he's gone through everything yeah. and he's reached there but he he sees nothing so like that sound and that effect is essentially just yeah, it symbolizes how like broken he is and how the knowledge of that there is nothing is like yeah is is so deafening and so blindingly blinding for him mm. um so yeah that's my yeah. interpretation okay um but and i, I one I, thing yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, David. Go, 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 go. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, and to talk about like the d- director's intention, I think his intention was just to make this film an experience, um, an, an experience that, um, like what David said, like a smoothie of insanity, right? <laughs> like, um, and I think he leaves a good, like, enough elements. So he he weaves in elements uh, for Greek mythology and power and 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 identity and masculinity enough for you to make your own decision like make your own decision about what the film's about right and i think i understand mm. what you mean by how you think that oh um it's a bit lazy but i, th- I think it's it actually adds to it you know like with artwork when we see artwork not often all the time we see intention right sometimes like we make meaning when we look at artwork through what we want the meaning to be, right? For what we think the mm, meaning is mm. by looking at it. So I think that's what Robert Eggers, Robert Eggers was going with this film. See, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, I, I, I do partially agree with that. I just think that um, this, it's not like this is a theme. This is the narrative. Like, mm. um, And if it was just the theme, I would agree with you saying like, what is this representing? Sure. But this is part <laughs> of the narrative, like what it is that they're chasing after. And that's why I, yeah, I do feel a little bit just unfulfilled. It's not that I didn't enjoy the film. As you can tell from me talking about it, I did really enjoy this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, It's just that I just am left kind of unsatisfied with the conclusion. And yeah, I I would have liked at least something that pointed towards this is what is in the light. And maybe there is, and we're between the three of us, we're just not smart enough to find exactly what it is. But yeah. And and maybe that's why like this film wasn't nominated for best picture or the best actor. It wasn't really yeah. acknowledged yeah. by the, the, the Academy, which was which honestly really shocked and saddened me. Yeah. Um, and, and it is good enough lot, yeah. absolutely to get some Academy recognition. So yeah, we all three of us have really enjoyed this film. I think it would probably go in order of enjoyment being Luke, myself, and then David. Would would that be fair? <laughs> would you guys agree with that? <laughs> yes, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I, I David, agree. maybe maybe I you agree. can just share quickly what is it that you felt was lacking from this film for you as a viewer? Not necessarily a, a critique of the film itself, but um, why did it not? Why do you think it didn't resonate with you as much as it did with Luke and obviously with myself as well? I think it's a 
mixture of what you feel feel of like it being open-ended i like open-ended things at at times because it gives the viewer the freedom to interpret and create their own meaning but at the same time i think just the insanity and chaos that you visually see of two men just becoming like absolutely broken to the point where they seem like monsters like they're just so self self-absorbed and so infatuated and like um drawn to the light it's like it has so many good meanings and stuff or like things that you can draw out and create meaning from but um i'd say i i'm more drawn to like um movies that are heartwarming and uplifting than like <laughs> chaos i like can you find very this uplifting opposite, like, i found it very heartwarming and uplifting this movie. i i I, yeah. I was very heartwarming after i walked out of cinema for this movie i don't know about you <laughs> no uh, fair enough you guys uh, fair enough. i'm speaking to two two absolute weirdos <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I guess it i guess that's like as, as simple as a genre thing like I, i'm not the biggest fan of yeah, horror yeah. and even though this film yeah. is categorized as horror by a lot of people it, I, I don't think it's a horror it's a thriller no, i don't think so um yeah and thrillers are better way yeah and yeah, um yeah. i i just want to say as well something that i didn't mention is even though i'm not a like i'm not a big horror head or like i i don't have a big history of old film or anything I really appreciate the nostalgia of older film and of old horror, yeah. specifically with those tentacle scenes where you can see yeah. it, it's shot in a way that is so um, so reminiscent of what those old school horror movies were like, where they would like mess with size and things to make things look bigger or smaller yeah. and, the, and the stop motion look of it because it's so like jittery that's not smooth at all and that tentacle when mm. he's looking up above him at the lighthouse and you see and supposedly tom transitions into the tentacle monster you see that tentacle move across uh, i really appreciate that and it almost made me like sad that i didn't have more experience in older film or old horror movies because mm. it's just a beautiful homage i think to some older film and um yeah bravo to to robert egger um and everyone involved in this film um if we were to give a do we do ratings out of five or ten david uh why not both why not both okay <laughs> so out of five i would i would give it a four um yeah. I, I i give it five out of ten wow out of ten i would give it a 8.5 i'll give it a 9.5 oh, yeah. i think four and eight i think it's a fair number for me because yeah I want to give it more, but it's not something that, you know, um, like I would want to rewatch and rewatch and rewatch and rewatch. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a cup yeah. of tea. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe a second, second time watch just so I, I, I might want to like try to pick up things I did. Yeah. I, the before, second watch absolutely but. is, is helpful. Um, mm. yeah, I can definitely say that. I, I enjoyed certain aspects more in the second watch. Um, so, as I alluded to earlier on, thank you guys for coming on so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for everyone who's tuned in and listened <laughs> to this whole episode. It has been an absolute whopper from the Artist Notepad. And to finish off this yes. podcast, I would love to leave you all with a description of the film from Robert Edgar himself. Nothing good can happen when two men are trapped alone in a giant phallus. That is all. Peace. <laughs> what a great ending. Peace. Peace. Peace.